Influencers, inspiration, and Instagram, Instagram, Instagram. This is Earned by Tribe Dynamics. Here's Connor Begley. All right, number four. This is big number four, um, and I think I have one of my best guests yet. Uh, so we have Mehdi at the mic here of Rare Beauty and NYX Cosmetics. Uh, but before we get specifically into Mehdi, as always, I have to thank the Ipsy team. So thank Doke, Jen, Elizabeth, Robert, Nick, the whole crew. Uh, so thanks, guys, for letting us use the studio space and getting us all set up in something that's so official. Um, so the reason I'm so excited to have Mehdi here, for those that don't know, uh, Mehdi is quite the legend around the space, um, one of the silent warriors that n people don't talk about unless you're in the industry. And so Mehdi's background is he was very early on at NYX Cosmetics mm -hmm. and eventually became the VP of digital there. And NYX was one of the best performing brands that we tracked at the time uh, and then has now gone on to launch his own brand, Rare Beauty, which uh, was launched with Selena Gomez. Um, and we can't talk a lot about that today. We're going to try and squeeze a thing or two out of him, but we'll uh, have to be a little bit limited there. Um, and just on a personal note, I think Mehdi is one of the smartest people there is when it comes to digital, digital marketing, that whole kind of arena. Uh, so I think he's got some really, he's always one step ahead of everybody else, which is annoying on my part, but you know, I get to learn from it. So <laughs> None of that is true. But <laughs> <laughs> no, it totally is. All right. So let's go through your background. Cool. Um, so you grew up in Beirut, right? Yes. Um, and then came to the United States. Yep. Tell me a little bit about that. Tell me about how you got here, when you came over, what that process was like. Love to just, so people know what your background's like. Yeah. I, um, <clears throat> I was born actually in Michigan in the U.S. So yep. um, grew up there until I was about nine years old. How did I and get then, that so screwed up? No, uh, but I did grow oh, up okay, in Beirut okay, 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 So okay, when, okay. I was, yeah, yeah. when I was nine years old, yep. we, uh, we moved back to Lebanon because um, my family is originally Lebanese and my parents. <coughs> My parents really wanted us to to get that kind of cultural experience of uh, growing up there. Um, it was tough at first, but yep. eventually I, I really fell in love with the place. It's an yeah. incredible place to grow up, um, you know, right on the Mediterranean. So amazing food, amazing culture. Um, I just had the time of my life when I lived there. Yeah, um, that's and, such a big transition mm -hmm. for somebody nine years old. You're like just figuring out like who you are. Yeah. And, like as uh, a person. To go from being this kind of like, you know, suburban Michigan kid to yeah. um, to moving to kind of just, you know, towards the end of the, the Civil War in Beirut. It was a big, uh, big shift, but um, I think it helped shape a lot of who I am today is yeah. uh, growing up there and um, being exposed to so many different um, cultures and religions and different types of people. Yeah. Um, you know, it was, it was really a, a great experience and, and I don't think I'd be where I am if I, if I hadn't grown up there. Yeah. 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 And then, so then you came back mm -hmm. and when did you say you came back? So I moved back in 2000 uh, okay. for school. Um, yep. I just graduated high school and um, wanted to come back to the States to, um, to kind of continue my education. So, uh, so I moved back in 2000. And then you studied political science, right? Yeah, and uh, that was kind of uh, my major in school. And um, it was, uh, you know, it kind of took me a little while to figure out what yeah. I wanted to do. Um, you know, I started off thinking that I would do, you know, kind of that first year, you really jump into a little bit of everything. And Yeah, well, you, you had that advantage. When I was going to school, we'd like pick our major before mm -hmm. we got there. And so I was like, I don't know. I was like, business like what do i you know so uh clueless and you know luckily there's some flexibility within that you can choose to focus on 
uh, economics or finance mm-hmm. or this or that, the other thing. Um, but uh, so she, what did you, what was your your path through there like what was it pre-political science what did you go in thinking you wanted to study um you know i i'd thought about you know potentially psychology i thought about computer science kind of all the different things that i was interested in um it wasn't until you know and you kind of think of the context of the time um you know person who middle eastern from origin um arabic background muslim sounding name uh and you know moved here in 2000 so just getting my bearings and then 2001 we go back to school and 9 11 happens and you you know when you're in that position that context right um you know you're you're kind of a a younger middle eastern male at the time you know it was was pretty scary time to to look around and kind of saw both the worst in people, but also in the best in people, because you you, you had some extremes, people, right? And yeah. you had some people that um, that kind of rejected your friendship after that point, and some people wow. who embraced you even more closely. Um, so you know, it's I think young people today kind of don't really understand what the world was like at the time, but it was scary. No one knew what was going on. And well, I think the, people in general were a lot less accepting. Like you right. don't realize it, but like it was literally twenty years ago. That was yeah. a long time ago. Yeah. And so naturally, um, kind of at that time, you're almost your whole existence becomes political. Um, You're just always, uh, you know, thinking about, you know, what should I say? What can I do? How do I introduce myself? You know, think about all those different things. So I think naturally it just... Um, for probably probably my whole generation of people who were moving here from the Middle East, um, yeah. it, it shifted the way we were thinking. And I think we became much more um, politically minded in that sense. And so naturally, I started to, to dig more into that and uh, delve deeper in, into that world. Totally. I mean, I can see that. I mean, like, especially when you came over, because you came over right before that. Right. And then you have this very dramatic mm-hmm. change, I would imagine. Yeah which is you got to experience both worlds versus coming into it right away. Right. Yeah, that's wild. I had no idea. I feel like I've known you for a while and I don't know yeah. any of this stuff. I <laughs> know it's uh <laughs> it's you know you don't talk about it very much because yeah. I think the world is is much different now than it was then and yeah. um and you know you make some of the best friends ever because you you kind of have people who really um stand by you even more closely after that point and yeah. so um so it was uh you know it's one of those things where you kind of come th- come out of it a little bit tougher, a little bit more of a, a um, you know, realization of, of what's important and who matters. Yeah, um, yeah. And, you know, things don't kind of, you know, you, you don't stress about uh, things as much because you kind of have already been through a couple of, you know, traumatic experiences in that sense. Totally. Yeah. And then, so then you graduated, mm-hmm. you went, did you go directly to Cision? Is that where you were next or, yeah. or was there a path before there? Yeah, no, I, I went there um, afterwards, um, really just um, thought it would be just like a kind of a quick job out of college, yeah. uh, try to make some money. Um, but I really enjoyed the work I was doing there. It was um, a lot of analysis in terms of uh, media and um, capturing kind of, uh, you know, brands were tracking what people were saying about them. And so, yeah. um, so it was really interesting to see what brands were focused on, what media they were tracking, what keywords they wanted to know, yeah. uh, what, you know, people were saying about them. Um, so I was kind of working with brands like Netflix and American Airlines. And um, funny enough, one of them was, was L'Oreal. Um, oh, uh, there you, you know, go. We were doing all the monitoring for them. So I got to see 
um, just you know in terms of uh, what they were monitoring and and the types of spends they were putting into media, and it was like. This is insane. It's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the amount that they spend on marketing in general is wild. And then, yeah. I mean, the funny thing is at that time, mm-hmm. I mean, those budgets are tiny compared to what they're spending on digital now. Right. 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 And uh, that's interesting. I mean, I guess that probably provide a lot of context for, because then you kind of moved over to Nix mm-hmm. after that. And I'd love to talk about that kind of transition. Sure. But I think having all of that context, seeing all those brands and the way they're approaching the problem and like the magnitude of the issue, which is just, just this massive volume of coverage these companies are getting that maybe they aren't leveraging as well. Is that, was that a big part of the kind of success for you at Nix was having that context prior to getting there? Absolutely. Um, you know, when I came over, uh, you know, we were still a tiny brand. Um, yep. It had had a little bit of success in Ulta, but yep. it was just starting to be picked up in terms of social media. And, and that drove a lot of our thinking was knowing that, um, you know, the way that people discover beauty at this point um, was through television ads and magazine yep. ads and things like that. And so we didn't have those types of budgets to be able to compete there. So yep. there wasn't necessarily any, you know, great genius thought behind the strategy at the time. It was really just about, you know, who's going to talk about our brand and who will do it um, in in a way that we don't have to compete with these massive budgets. And so yep. um, that's what drove a lot of our early strategy in terms of um, leveraging social media, Instagram, influencers, all of those things. But, um, but yeah, at the time, it probably felt as daunting as it does today when you're entering and creating a new beauty brand or trying to grow a beauty brand. And you look at the world of influencers and social media and you're like, how do I get started? Yeah, like We've, what's step one? Yeah, yeah, we felt the same way about uh, about it at the time with Nix is like, how do you market in this world? And you just, you know, the 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 key thing was being one of the early brands that tried new things and, and tested things out. And um, thankfully, we kind of we hit a wave right at the the right time. Yeah. And then how how did you get there in the first place? Right? It's because Cision, you were in Chicago still, yeah. um, which is where you went to school. Mm-hmm. And then how did you end up moving to LA and joining this like small upstart beauty brand? Like, how did that happen? Yeah. Um, you know, I was kind of getting a little, honestly, bored with my job over yeah, there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, it'd been a while. I'd kind of um, automated things where I was I was finishing up all my work within a few hours for for the whole week, and so <laughs> I started to look for a bunch of different side projects. Of course, you are. Yeah, <laughs> um, okay. I I started to like teach at a language center. I was doing consulting jobs. I was yep. just you know picking up ways of of kind of meeting new people and and um, filling my time. And one of them was uh, helping on a consulting project uh, for Scott Friedman, who yep. was eventually uh, took over as the CEO of Nix. But um, I was helping on a little project that he was doing. Um, and we just had a, a great rapport in terms of how we were working together. And so when he took over the uh, when he took the role of CEO of Nix at the time, he called me up. I think I was the first person he called up and was like, "Hey, I want to bring you on board. I'm not sure for what yet, but yeah. um, but I want to bring you into s- small cosmetics company." Um, and so, from my perspective, I was like, just probably went through another um, forty below winter in Chicago, and I was like, <laughs> you know what, I'm I'm ready to make the move out to LA. Uh, and so I was like, you know what, I'm I'm just going to do it. I'm going to take a chance. I, I hadn't really known much about the brand, but yeah. I met the people. I, I th- had a really great vibe from them. Um, the the private equity investment group was was amazing. I loved working with those guys too. So I was yep. just like, yeah, I'm, I feel like the right people are in place to make this a, a success. So yeah, I jumped yeah, on yeah. board. 
That's cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the、uh, winters in Chicago seem awfully motivating. I've never lived out there during one of them, but I mean, my uh, my uh, my stepsister, sister in law, I guess, is living out there right now.、Mm-hmm. She'll she'll be there for a few years, but、mm-hmm. she'll be back pretty soon. Like,、yeah. I don't think it's going to be motivating <laughs> to stick around. I, I love the city. It's an incredible city. I had a great yeah, time、absolutely. there. Yeah, absolutely. The people are incredible.、Mm-hmm. Like just the nicest people in the yeah, world. It, yeah, it's great. I love the city. It's just a little too cold for for me. <laughs> yeah, for sure.、Um, so so I. So you've continued with Scott, then.、Mm-hmm. So obviously, you continue to work with Scott through Nix, and now under Rare Beauty.、Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we talked a little bit about Grace Ray in the last episode and what her leadership style is. What is it about Scott's leadership style that made you want to continue to work with him at you know another company?、Um, yeah, I mean, Scott, I think is is. In my mind, probably the best CEO in the business, and I'm、wow. probably a little biased there, but I think yeah,、um, it's worked out well. Yeah, it's worked out well. <laughs> he's he's had some successes, and and really he's、um, he's an incredible leader. More than anything, you know, there's there's different types of CEOs across the board.、Um, he's the type of CEO that really values culture of a company.、Mm-hmm. He will put people in place who share the the common culture and、yeah. people who are、um, you know have integrity, who are friendly, who Um, will build strong teams,、um, so he's he's really、uh, kind of an enabler. And if you're someone who's looking to grow in your career, that's the best position you can be in because、totally. he will、um, bring on the the right people and then trust them to do what they need to do. Yep. And、um, you know he's been he's been great for myself. It's been an amazing partnership, and and、um, I think it's not a surprise that so many of、uh, of the people who work with him continue wanting to work with him because he's just、um, he's an incredible. Incredible guy, and and you know when he's he's the type of person who will let the team、uh, work on on what they need to work on. He'll trust them. He doesn't hold you to a budget. If there's、uh, something a great new idea that comes comes up, he'll be、yep. like, yeah, let's go for it. We'll figure it out. Yeah. But then when the tough conversations need to be had, and there's、uh, you know any type of、uh, crisis that you need to deal with, he's he's completely reliable to to jump in there and、uh, and move mountains and make things happen. And、yep. everyone in the industry just loves him and respects him and. Yeah. And you get a lot done from that perspective. So yeah,、um, so yeah, he's he's been great to work with. Yeah, he's very like just just. I think being level headed in a crisis is、mm-hmm. incredibly important. Of which I'm actually probably not very good at it. <laughs> you know, I get like my hair gets on fire and I just run、uh, in some direction, which occasionally solves the problem, but also like freaks everybody out along、yeah. the way, which is just not the right way to handle leadership.、Mm-hmm. So、uh, yeah, yeah, that's cool. Not not surprising. Yeah.、Um, okay, so let's talk a little bit about your. Well, actually, I want to go back to Nick's one more time. So, so you started out with、uh, Scott at Nick's,、mm-hmm. and in, in this kind of fairly undefined role.、Yeah. And then, how did you, you know, how what was the path between there and eventually being like this, you know, the VP of digital, and then post acquisition by L'Oreal? I think,、um, you know, I think. It, you were really used by a lot of the L'Oreal organization as like, how do we learn about digital? Oh, go talk to Medi.、Mm-hmm. Um, how? What was your path getting from there to there? Like, how did you really kind of stake out that digital was your focus? And then, what were your, you know, how did you, yeah, how did you grow in that space over time?、Um, so when when Scott brought me on board, I, you know, I kind of. He he essentially said, "Look, I don't know what exactly I want you to do yet. I just、yep. know I want to bring you on board." I was a bit of a generalist at the time,、yep. and so he kind of gave me a, a mandate of heading up special projects, which meant like, 
you know, essentially what he told me is, look, we're, we're coming into a new company and there's going to be a lot of different holes in areas. So yep. um, find where you think there's a big gap and plug yourself in. Yep. And, uh, and, you know, I think everyone was, uh, was happy to have someone who was helping because um, at the time they were just <clears throat> really just, you know, people who were running the brand um, on instinct a lot and making a lot of great decisions. And some were a little bit mistakes. And so I think they were happy to have someone to come in and help out. Um, so I came in and, and, you know, I think when I started coming from a data background with Cision, um, my first day that I started, I was like, well, can I take a look at our analytics to understand our customer? And they totally. were like, oh, what's, what's I don't that? know what? why people don't use that more. There's like so much there. So just much with something like just simple as Google Analytics. There's like an infinite number of things you can investigate there. Unbelievable amount of data. <laughs> it's like, um, like, but the, are you not looking at that? <laughs> yeah, there wasn't anyone really heading up e-commerce at the time, so there was no one looking yeah, at that. Yeah. So they they were like, "Well, where you know where would we get that?" And I was like, "Well, who's who's managing the digital?" And they were like, "Well, it's kind of like with IT and creative and and so there was no one really no spearheading that." And yeah. I was like, "Okay, I think I know where the big hole I have to plug myself into yeah. is." So I literally just you know started to teach myself reading blogs reading uh you know just different books and figuring out what you know how to how to um, approach e-commerce and digital and at the time um you know we had just gone through a stress test on the website and i think we found and this is back in 2011 so this was ages ago but we found that basically the website would crash if 40 people were on it and it was like (laughs) Okay, we need to. Uh, we probably need to replatform here. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, I, you know, I got the, I got the ability to to um, to you know spearhead a replatforming plot project. So I got to learn a lot there. Yeah. And what I, platform did you guys choose? Um, well, at the time there was uh, again our budgets were really small, so we yeah. we went on a pla- small platform called ASP.NET Storefront. Okay. Okay. Um, there was the choice between that or Magento. One yeah. was uh, much much less expensive than the other, so yeah. um, we knew that it would kind of hold us over until a For certain a amount yeah. of revenue, and then we would have to switch over. Um, which was great, and so it, it uh, we were able to 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 do quite a lot on there. Yeah, you guys uh, were kind of that was a big thing for you guys was being scrappy early on in the process. You know, yeah, you're supposed to turn off your phone before you get into yeah, the yeah, just uh, <laughs> try. But to, he's an important guy. Turn it knows. off. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, it was uh, it was great. It held us over, and um, and you know we we put a lot of focus in terms of um, you know driving that experience in terms of what is that experiential process for the consumer as they're yeah. going through um and you know and and um you know what what does the unboxing look like what does yep. the um, post-purchase checkout look like you know all those different things um you know that's what we focused on and we were like the revenue will come later we'll yeah. let's focus on the experience because we're still in the brand building mode right now yeah totally mm-hmm. that makes sense um okay so let's get into your kind of general marketing philosophies so for you when you think about kind of the, the philosophies that have driven the brands that you've been a part of, right? So obviously Rare is still very new, but Nick specifically, um, you know, how do you think about uh, building a brand? How do you think about building a brand in the space that you're in? Like what are the different, and you've touched on it a little bit right now, it's just like really controlling that kind of touch by touch customer experience. But t- talk about that a little bit more. Um, yeah, you know, I I think I take credit from the fact that um, I came into this not knowing what I was doing and, yeah, yeah, and yeah. learning on the job, and so I didn't really have, um, I didn't have a frame of reference to go by, and so I really started to 
look at it from the consumer perspective, both from from the digital standpoint and also from the beauty standpoint. Yeah. Didn't know anything about makeup. I didn't know anything about uh, you know how to market uh, to a, a makeup shopper. Yeah. And so um, I really was like, well, you know. I need to understand the way the consumer approaches it because if I can get into that person's mind, then I can understand the way to you know to do this. And a lot of a lot of it was driven by the fact that um, you know we would test out all the the best practices for e-commerce, and uh, you know we would try you know everything that the the, the experts tell you to do, and none of it worked. <laughs> and and then I started like, looking at it, and I was like, well, you know. You know, the, the irony is a lot of people can't figure out what doesn't work. Right. They just do it because, oh, I'm supposed to do this, and they just keep doing it. And it's like, oh, is that – I don't – you know. Yeah. Um, and it's 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 at that point that I figured out and – I, and I also want to say I would, I would look at Amazon, and I was like, well, I buy everything from Amazon. Yeah. They, no one buys beauty from Amazon. So if, if those guys, the smartest e-commerce people in the, in the universe, can't figure out how to – crack beauty maybe there isn't this like magic uh you know trick that you can use or uh gamification or or whatever you would do that would drive a a a traditional e-commerce purchase um maybe that doesn't work in beauty and so approaching it from that perspective and understanding that beauty is much more of an emotional uh experience it's much more tactile it's yep. much more experiential. You want to swatch the products. You want to touch it. You want to, you know, feel what the consistency is. That's what I started to learn. And, and um, you know, at the time, everyone was selling even like these virtual try-on tools. And everyone was like, this is going to be the biggest game changer. Yeah, but when I started to ask people, would you use this? They were like, no, I wouldn't. I'm, I need to feel what it's like on my yeah, you know, yeah, face yeah. and skin tone. So we never really... Um, focused on rolling those out at the time, even though you know that was the tech thing to do. Yep. But from the consumer perspective, they they weren't looking for that. They just wanted a better experience. Consumer they is wanted, on the stuff. They wanted content. Yep. They wanted to see what it looks like on people, and that's yep. where Instagram really came into play because now yep. you had this wealth of and, and YouTube as well. But YouTube Instagram for sure. yeah. um, had this wealth of content where you could see very specifically what that shade of lipstick looks on someone who has your you know same skin tone or um you know you could get people's feedback that aren't necessarily being pushed by the brand so um so that's where i i kind of shifted my focus and my philosophy was let's really understand it from the consumer perspective and let that drive what we're doing from a marketing perspective yeah which is i mean like it seems so straightforward but that really should be like the way that you approach this is mm-hmm. like how if I'm going to buy this product, what is my process to purchase this product? Right. And like how how do I make decisions when I'm buying this? Like go through that mm-hmm. and then, you know, and then hit those touch points. Yeah. Uh, but I don't know. Anyways, it's kind of beside the point. So for you guys, when you were at Nix, what were the areas like? So you tested stuff that worked. You tested stuff that didn't work. What were the things that worked and what were the things that didn't work? Um, for us, what worked were um, – you know, influencer was yep. huge for us. Um, they were big fans of the brand. We developed amazing relationships with them, yep. um, and we, you know, we, we really focused on um, elevating the influencers that we could identify who were creating great content. Yep, um, we would focus more on let's elevate those people through the face awards, through our own Instagram. Yep. Um, and let's not focus as much on trying to get the the mega that everyone else is trying to approach. Yeah. Let's try to get, you know, that next crop of people to come up. Mm-hmm. Um, YouTube was huge as well. We were always um, highly performing on YouTube. Um, and I think the fact that the brand was so 
affordable was was really important. Um, and then also, I want to say that um, you know I think the 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 underrated element was just um, I think it was it was a brand that people really um, felt passionate about because of the mission of like bringing this makeup artistry. Yeah. Um, you know, all these colors, all these making different it more shades, accessible. making it accessible, having it at a price point that, you know, that struggling uh, makeup artist who, you know, couldn't afford to fill her uh, makeup bag with, you know, the high end brands really uh, kind of gravitated towards NYX because she could yep. fill, you know, 30 or 40 or 50 shades of foundation in her bag without, you know, for like a fairly reasonable price. Yeah. Yeah. Because I think, I mean, a lot of these people are people that are, you know, solo entrepreneurs or like running their own little practices and you can't spend an obscene amount of money all the time on this kind of stuff. So, so we've talked a little bit about marketing. Mm -hmm. So when you were, so obviously post Nick's, once Nick's got acquired, Mm -hmm. um, you're moving into a much larger organization. Uh, within a larger organization, there's going to be inherently just more, you know, more process to work through. Sure. Um, what were some of the challenges in that transition? So if you were to be, say, you were uh, somebody that was in a brand that was going through a similar transition, what would be some of your advice for them in order to make it more successful? And I, I'd love to hear a little bit more about that. Um, yeah, I would say it was, you know, being acquired by L'Oreal for us at the time was was really daunting because... Yeah. And also exciting because we were like, well, you know, this is L'Oreal. Like they're the, they the invented marketing, yeah, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and so, you know, we expected that they would, you know, acquire us and essentially teach us, teach us what marketing means and how to do it. So we were kind of like, okay, this is great. They're going to, you know, come in and take this over and really give us, you know, kind of like business school on steroids. Yeah. Um, so we were excited from that perspective, but that wasn't essentially what happened. They really wanted to learn from us and they yep. were, um, you know, to their credit, super open-minded. And, and you know, we had people from all the different brands from, Lancome from L'Oreal Paris from, you know, across the the spectrum, um, they were reaching out to us because they yep. wanted to understand what we were doing and not necessarily vice versa. Mm-hmm. So, um, so, you know, getting um, kind of uh, getting integrated in the L'Oreal system, you know, we, we've heard of other brands who kind of put up a wall between the brand and mm, L'Oreal. Yeah. Um, we didn't do that. We were yep. really, because we wanted to, to have that, um, that experience and learning from working with a big company like that, um, but they were they were amazing. They were they gave us time to integrate slowly. They yep. did whatever they could to preserve the brand. Um, they helped us in a lot of the different areas where they felt like we we did need some support. Yep. Um, you know, gave us the budget that we needed to 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 grow the brand and to mm-hmm. um, expand internationally. Because um, you guys expanded really quickly, yeah, acquisition yeah. very quickly, and uh, and it was you know the brand was on fire. And to their credit, they have th- probably the best in you know in any industry in the world, the best teams globally to be able to take a brand, um, identify what the DNA is, identify what makes that brand work, and then figure out how to roll it out in their markets. Mm. Um, so you know we had a, a really great experience early on. Yeah. Um, we we had Natalie Christo come on as um, kind of our new um, head of marketing and eventually GM, and um, you know I learned so much from her. She was yep. uh, an incredible uh, resource, and she she did the same. I think really wanted to help us where we needed help to um, to kind of professionalize what we were doing and and to scale it up. Yeah. But at the same time, didn't want to mess with what made the brand work and what was so special about the brand. 
Totally. That makes mm. sense. And Natalie's now at Huda, right? Yeah, As she a is. CEO. Mm. Yeah, continues her uh, her streak there. Mm-hmm. We'll see. Um, very cool. And so getting back to some of the marketing philosophy stuff, what are some of the other brands that you admire? So when you're thinking about, you know, any brands that you pay attention to could be inside the industry, outside of the industry. How do you how do you think about that? Or what, or what are some of those brands you look at? Um, the brands that I admire. I mean, f- I would say I really... All, all, I still love NYX. I'll always have a, a yeah. spot in my heart for NYX. I really want that brand to continue to grow and succeed. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I just, it's always going to be kind of the the first, uh, I think it's going to be a, a trailblazing uh, a trailblazing brand that, uh, that really made a big impact in people's lives. Um, and so that's, it's always going to be special to me. I think all of the, the L'Oreal brands, they have some incredible brands, Kiehl's, um, you know, Lancome, L'Oreal Paris, Maybelline. I think, uh, you know, in this kind of like Estee Laundry world, everyone is trying to point out all the things that brands are doing wrong or improperly. Yeah. Um, I want to say L'Oreal, they're genuinely good people and they want to do what's right by the consumer and they yeah. want to, um, they want to make sure that the products are um, you know, that they work, they're efficacious, that they are, um, they're safe. Um, they invest a lot in product quality. Um, so, you know, I, I'm always just amazed by it, like how much as an organization, they still try to improve and, and keep, uh, improving the industry in general. Um, yeah. well, you know, from... it's hard to get that big without mm-hmm. having some central tenants and philosophies right. that stick around. Like I remember being at a conference and it was a digital conference. I think Sean Polygon was speaking mm-hmm. and he opened up the digital conference by saying product, 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 product. Like that was what his messaging was. He's like, all of this stuff helps to amplify the product, amplify the brand. But if we're not creating products that are worth talking about, mm-hmm. there's no point in being, there's no point in doing it. Right. And yeah. so, yeah. yeah. And I think people can, can tend to forget a little bit that brands really are just the people that are behind the brands and whatever yeah. the the kind of the DNA and the philosophy of the people who are working at the brands is, that's what's going to be reflected in the brand itself. So, yeah, totally. Um, so, you know, brands aren't these things that just kind of manifest themselves. There aren't these like marketing people who are sitting there and, and dictating everything. It really is just, um, you know, decision by decision every day. Um, things that you're you're focused on as your own priorities, that's what comes out in the brand. Um, and so there's there's a ton out there that I'm I'm uh, really impressed by. I think um, you know you mentioned Natalie with Huda. That's a brand that I don't think gets enough credit. I think mm-hmm. Huda, um, for whatever reason, um, she she gets a lot of negativity in in the influencer space, and I'm not sure why. Because interesting. Um, because I I don't think people understand just how much of an impact she's having specifically in the Middle East. Mm. Um, to be a, a Muslim Arab woman who is launching this you know makeup brand from the middle east and um probably doing more than anyone to change the perceptions around gender and um around kind of men in beauty and and the um, almost uh, normalizing that in the middle east in a culture where um you know people aren't so open minded about it i think what she's doing is is extremely um brave and i think it's yeah. very political and um she's she probably puts herself at risk um, by by posting the way she does and showcasing men and showing um, you know trans people on her on her page and um, so I don't think she gets enough credit for how brave of of a person that she has been with her brand yeah um, so I really respect uh, what they've been doing um, 
Yeah, I think without having cultural context there, it's hard to fully appreciate it. Mm -hmm. And I think, yeah, I mean, it makes a lot of sense. Like, I'm trying to remember the other example. It doesn't matter. We can go back to it later. So, yeah, it's hard to, without full cultural context, like, Mm -hmm. know you know, uh, what people are going through and right. what, what they're putting themselves at risk for. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, that's very cool. Okay. So on to, so obviously we focus on the influencer space. Um, so what, you know, when you, when you're trying to stay up to date, both on marketing influencers, those kinds of things, um, what are the resources that you use? Are you a big Twitter guy? Do you like Reddit? Is there some influencer newspaper I don't know about? Like what, what are you keeping up to date on? Um, I'm on all of the above. Uh, I'm on, you know, I spend, I still to this day watch a lot of um, YouTube content, um, specifically with the beauty influencers, um, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Reddit, um, TikTok. I'm I'm kind of following it all because I think, again, putting yourself in the perspective of the consumer, you have to, you have to digest the content the way they're, their mega fans do. And so if you're not, you know, and you can't just kind of like dip your toe in and then dip your toe out. I read read, a video. Right. No, that doesn't work. You have to watch, you know, you have to watch it consistently and see, you know, what they're going through and what they're focused on and what they're talking about. Because this industry, you know, being in it now since 2011, it shifts really probably once a year where the entire mm. industry has shifted and mm. influencer um, has been a big part of that. And even the influencer world has shifted so many times mm-hmm. in just in the, the, the nine years that I've been in the space. Um, so, you know, I, I, when people kind of say, Oh, there's this like monolith of what, uh, what influencer means, you know, I'm like, well, no, that's, you know, it meant something completely different two years ago and four years ago and six, it's, it's just constantly changing. So the yeah. only consistency about that world is how much it changes. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. How, so, so in today's world, so if we were to look at it like today, how do you think about working with creators? Because obviously Rare is being launched with one of the biggest mm-hmm. in the world, which I think people don't fully appreciate how mm-hmm. big her audience is. Yeah. It's like her, Rihanna, Kylie, you know, and, right. and Beyonce. Um, so how do you think about working with creators, both, you know, at a top level, obviously you're launching a brand with mm-hmm. one, um, but, you know, on a more day-to-day level as well, what's your, what are your philosophies there? What's your approach? Um, I think starting off with it, you have to, um, you have to respect what they do and mm-hmm. what they're going, uh, going through because that's, you know, that's probably one of the hardest jobs you can have. And I know people downplay it. It's like, oh, you're posting on Instagram. There are a lot of work to get in there. Yeah. They're consumed 24 seven with what exactly you need to be posting and on every channel. And, you know, you can go into your job and be like, you know what, I'm, I'm not feeling great today. I'm kind of, I'm going to kind of coast a little bit. They don't get to do that. They have to be on all the time, posting content, thinking of what the next piece of content is going to be. So, I really respect what they go through, and and at the same time, they don't have necessarily the the um, the stability of like a steady paycheck. They don't know yeah. from day to day how YouTube is going to change the way they get compensated, or how brands decide how they're going to get compensated, or how you know there's there's so much up in the air in their lives. So I think it it helps when you approach them with that knowledge of what mm-hmm. they struggle with, yeah, and uh, and then work with them in a way that I think helps them. Um, you know, that's always the approach that we've taken is, you know, you can, of course, you can throw money at them and that's great, but you build a longer term relationship by saying, hey, how can I help you outside of 
you know, paying you for this content? What can I do to help you, uh, you know, with other projects that you're working on, yep. for example? Um, I think that that matters a lot to them, and that's what's been um, helpful to to building some of these longer lasting relationships. Totally. I mean, I think we've seen it really consistently where if the brand can use their own platform to accelerate a creator's career, whether it's giving them really cool studio space or it's sharing their content onto their channel or it's, you know, whenever you think about these things, thinking about what is the benefit that this person's going to get outside right. of any cash compensation, I think it's like super, super important. Mm-hmm. Um, and as well, like going back to like how hard they have it, you know, I really think of them as publishers. Like right. They are competing for dollars with the magazines, with TV shows, right? Like mm-hmm. with very large organizations that are very well resourced. Mm-hmm. Now those organizations are struggling right now, but like these are, you know, they're competing against the big boys. And uh, and ultimately, you know, they, they don't have those resources. Right. And so they get there just through grit and scrappiness and hard work. And it's just, it's really cool to see. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think like you said, it gets made fun of for being like, oh, you're just taking photos on Instagram. Like yeah. who cares? But that's not, there's a lot more that goes into it. Um, especially when you start from the ground up and really have to grow it. Mm-hmm. Um, very cool. So when you guys are, so for you guys, as you're thinking about, you don't have to talk about rare too much, but when you're, thinking about kind of how you how you budget and what your team looks like like what is the how do you think about structuring your team because i've i've thought a lot about you know if you have like a digital group well how is that different than marketing and how is that different than you know like mm-hmm. how are these intermixed um, how do you guys think about that balance like where do responsibilities lie how do you communicate amongst those or those teams i'd love to hear more about that um yeah i mean that's that's i would say uh, you want it to be as fluid as possible in mm-hmm. terms of, uh, first of all, you know, from Scott and myself and, and our entire team, we always want to make sure that we have a very kind of flat organization. What yep. we don't want is these different layers of like, you know, you have to go to talk to this person before you talk to that person. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We want it to feel like one big team and everyone can kind of contribute ideas. It doesn't matter where they come from. So, yeah. um, So in terms of, you know, structuring of the team, that's probably the least um, the least important or the least interesting thing to me. To yeah. me, it's all about, you know, let's bring in the best people and figure out where they fit the best, who can they learn from the best. So, yep. you know, whether it goes under digital or marketing or product development or, you know, it almost doesn't matter where the person falls under an org chart as yeah. long as everyone's working collaboratively and that person's continuing to learn and feel supported. Um, that's the way I approach it and, and the way we try to structure the team. So um, so to me, it's, you know, I could have 50 people reporting to me. I could have none reporting to me and I would feel the same way. And as long as everyone is kind of cohesively working together and on the same page, um, I almost don't care about the structure. And so you know, my title, I think, is is a little bit vague in terms of, um, you know, head of digital. What does that mean? Um, I think part of it is, um, you know, there's there's a certain skill set towards what a head of marketing does yep. that um, I've always felt like I can never get there because, A, I think it's it's primarily should be people who use the product. And yep. I'm not someone who uses the product every day. I don't live it and breathe it in that sense. So yep. I can't accurately, um, you know, portray that side of the business. Yep. Um, but at the same time, I can kind of give insights into different areas at work and, and approach it from kind of the the perspective of someone who is an outsider looking in yeah. saying, let's try these things and maybe let's try something a little bit different. And you kind of don't fall under the the groupthink that can kind of set in a little bit in the in this space. 
Yeah, totally. Mm-hmm. I, and that even – so even as you guys scaled up Nix, you were able to maintain a relatively flat structure? Yeah, absolutely. Wow, um, okay. That's yeah, cool. We – you know, that and that's a, that's a culture thing. That's um, – you know, if you have people um, at that level who really work towards uh, bringing everyone into the fold and into the mix, um, then, you know, and I think that comes from from a sense also of humility and mm-hmm. and also being secure with where you are. The, I think the where you fall into the traps of, you know, people creating these like structures and silos, a lot of time it's because they're insecure and so they need everything to kind of flow through them. Yeah. I think if you're secure in what you're offering and what you're doing, then you're you really want people to get um, exposure and you want people to to interact with as many people as they can. Um, so you know I think when, the more people would focus and and uh, focus on um, kind of creating organizations like that, I think um, it'll help a lot with some of the challenges in the beauty space, which yeah. aren't always uh, structured that way. For sure, mm-hmm. and I think especially in kind of a, a day and age where speed matters mm-hmm. a lot and speed is being valued yep. um, both by the media channels um, but also just by it's just it's advantageous to know right. what your customers think about a product to be able to respond really quickly um, I think it'll be a good good structure moving mm-hmm. forward um, so I feel like like I said at the beginning you're always kind of on the cutting edge so you're always telling me something that I've never heard about <laughs> like I remember you very early on you're like it's all about reddit like you got to get on reddit mm-hmm. there's a whole beauty community there that nobody knows about so what are the areas that you're thinking about right now that maybe like other people aren't tapping into or you've noticed like hey there's this pocket over here obviously TikTok's a really big deal right now but that's becoming a little more well known is there anything out there that I don't know about that the the crowd needs to know about um Nothing that you probably don't know about. I yeah. think um, you know. I still, I still think YouTube is probably underutilized from mm. that perspective. I think the brands that are are you know doing the best work are still focusing mostly on YouTube. Obviously, like someone like Jeffrey Star has an incredible uh, success story. Yeah, wild um, through his content on YouTube. Really, yep. that's driving that. So. Um, so I think that's still a strategy that, you know, and, and it's because it's hard. It's hard to create compelling content. Yeah. It's hard to compete with Netflix, with other YouTube content. You know, it's um, that's not easy to accomplish. And I think a lot of brands fail at that. But I think that's still where you drive the most, um, the most kind of uh, authentic, but also meaningful connections with your consumer. Totally. I mean, that's, I think it's a big, like the barriers to entry on Instagram are so low. You mm-hmm. can come in and start creating content very quickly. But YouTube, I mean, there's a real production value, right? Yeah. Like he's, they are a, Jeffree Star is a production studio at mm-hmm. this point. And uh, I don't think people appreciate how much effort that takes. But he's, I mean, he's, he has an ability to connect with his audience and engage with them. And so I think that's, um, you know, the con- if the content isn't there, people aren't going to continue to watch. So I think, you know, that's that's one of the areas where if you can kind of unlock that piece, create compelling content that people really enjoy, which is what he does better than anyone probably, yeah. um, that's what's going to get people to to have that strongest loyalty towards your brand. Totally. Mm. All right, so let's get to the end of the show questions. Oh, a couple rapid-fire ones. So favorite book and why? Um, that's a tough one. Um, have so many um I, I would say one i've been reading recently that i really like it's called sapiens yeah by harari one. yeah i yeah. really uh enjoyed that i think it's um it you know 
there's it talks a lot about just the evolution of humans and why we structure society the way we are and yeah. there's a lot there i think to learn about brands as well and what Interesting. brands are from the perspective of how we've evolved as a society and and storytelling is so important there and yeah. um and so i th- i've really enjoyed that one um I don't know what I would say is my favorite of all time, but that's the one I've been enjoying. That's the one you're thinking about right now. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So what, uh, so what shows are you currently watching? Anything you're binging through? Um, I haven't been binging through much recently just because we've been so focused on our, our, yeah, on on, (laughs) on our big announcement. Um, I was, you know, I'm, I, I succession was one that I spent, uh, unbelievable. Yeah. We were always sharing season two. From there. So, so good. Um, <laughs> just like there's such unquestionably awful good <laughs> yeah. television. Like, it's great. So good. Yeah. yeah. Um, so that's probably the one that we've been, um, kind of sharing the most around the office and joking yeah. around, but, um, but I haven't, you know, I, and I, I do, I, I love watching TV. I, I love great storytelling. Yeah. Um, but just in the past few weeks, it's been it's been a little uh, tough to find time. Totally, yeah. yeah. Okay, so if what do you spend more time on, cable, Netflix, or YouTube? I don't have cable, so that yeah. one's out. <laughs> um, probably YouTube, um, and I find yeah more and more that that's what I'm checking out first because partially half of the time is you know just for following up on what you know what's happening in the beauty world, what influencers are saying. Um, and then the other half of it, as I think there's some really fun content on YouTube and some great stuff. Um, so I'm kind of always just finding new, new channels to watch on there. That's so weird to me. I'm still not in the like surfing YouTube. I haven't gotten there yet. Like I don't. Yeah. You kind of, you know, there's, you kind of have to have, um, I found that once I started to subscribe to certain channels that I that I find have good content, over time you start to go up on your page and you find that there's all this great stuff that you can watch and you're like, oh, you know, here's, you know, f- maybe one of my interests being served and here's another one. You know, I, I, I'm, I'm a huge like film buff. I love watching movies. And so yeah. there's so many of these channels that do great like video essays about different movies and you kind of get to watch what your interests are. Yeah. Um, I like a lot of sports. There's a lot of great sports content on there. So you just kind of, you know, I mean, it's a, all it's those a billion hours a day, mm-hmm. billion hours watched a day. And I think that's like a year or two old. So it's even more than that yeah. now. Um, okay. So last one, this wasn't on the sheet. So okay. you're, you're not going to be prepped for this one. No worries. So if you wanted people to know one thing about rare beauty, what would it be? Oh man. Um, if I wanted people to know one thing about rare beauty, um, I would say that this is going to be a brand with, um, very strong purpose. Yep. It's not just going to be, um, you know, this isn't just uh, kind of partnering with a celebrity and, and launching products. I think it's going to be a brand that's very meaningful to people. I think it's going to have a lot of um, it's going to have a lot of focus on helping people. Yep. Um, you know, Selena herself is someone who really um, is very passionate about making a difference and, and helping people. So um, that's kind of our, our guiding light on the brand. Um, so, you know, I know it's early and, and, you know, we just recently announced it. So people don't know specifically yet what it's going to look like and how it's going to take shape. Um, but I think people will be, will be pleasantly surprised with what we've come up with. Very cool. Mm -hmm. Well, awesome, man. Number four, 
Yeah. Probably should have been number one, but that's okay. <laughs> I've been I've been holding yeah, you off a little bit because I off. knew you would ask me some of these questions. <laughs> <laughs> it was good timing. Yeah. It's good timing. Rare is getting launched. Um, but thanks so much for coming. Thanks again to the Ipsy team um, and everybody involved there. Really appreciate you guys letting us use the space. And uh, yeah, if you ever need advice on digital, Medi is your guy. He knows. <laughs> I'm telling you more than anybody else. Um, but thanks so much, guys. Appreciate it. Hit subscribe now. Earned by Tribe Dynamics. Tribe Dynamics unlocks your social media influencer community. Our platform not only tracks and measures your best influencer relationships, but discovers new influencers to grow your business through earned media. Get started with a demo today at tribedynamics.com. Tribedynamics.com.